Hello and welcome to the first episode of season two of Floodlight. Floodlight is our podcast that's all about raising awareness of modern slavery by sharing stories and speaking to amazing people around the world who are at the forefront of this fight. I'm Eugenie. And I'm Jules, and we are the co-founders of the Anti-Slavery Collective. For the past decade, we've been passionate about fighting slavery in all its forms, wherever it is found throughout the world. Now, implementing real change is a group effort, and we all need to get behind this issue. So thank you so much for listening. Just by lending an ear, you can help us spread awareness of modern slavery and join us in the fight. We're so much stronger together, and only together can we hope to eradicate this problem. So welcome along. Every week, we'll be sitting down with various people who share our passion to rid the world of a problem that affects all of us. It really does. There are roughly 50 million people living in slavery around the world in all manner of circumstances. Even if you stop and just take a second to think about where you are, there will be someone in slavery within a few miles of where you are listening to this podcast. It's terrible to think about, but we can do something about it. So on Floodlight, you'll hear some amazing stories from people who are deeply involved in the fight to rid the world of modern slavery. Some of them we've known for years, some of them we only just met for the first time when we sat down to chat. They're politicians, company leaders, world-famous actors, musicians, sports people, and even survivors of modern slavery. Each episode is full of useful information about how you can spot the signs of modern slavery in your own life and how you can speak up and help us in the fight to rid the world of what's still very much a modern problem. So what have we been up to since we last spoke to our listeners? Well, I think our main mission is always to be engaging with survivors. So one of our biggest things has been going to safe houses, meeting with survivors, always engaging with them, listening to their stories and making sure that they're heard. Bramba Bakehouse, remember you learnt how to make a lemon drizzle cake for survivors? We also went to visit the Salvation Army and met the survivor band um, who sang for us, which was incredible. And we did a trip down to Bristol to meet Unseen and do a safe house visit with them. Uh, We've also been really pushing forward on our um, kind of relationship with the World Economic Forum. We went to Davos, all to kind of engage businesses in modern slavery so that they are thinking about their supply chains and how we can kind of involve the private sector in what we do. Yeah, so we've had a we've had a very busy time and we've been developing our education programs. So we've been we visited a bunch of schools trying to educate as many age groups as possible on the vulnerabilities around modern slavery and and how to spot it early on. And our next project is building an education toolkit that we can send out to schools so that Schools all across the country are able to teach modern slavery with a toolkit based on the kind of age of the school children as well. And last but not least, our social media campaign, you know, the digital world is the greatest way for us to raise awareness. So we continue to do a lot of online awareness raising, social media. Maybe you'll even see us on TikTok one day. So let's meet our first guest of this new season. Theresa May is a former British Prime Minister and Home Secretary who's been a member of British Parliament since 1997. It is such an honour to have her on our podcast. She's been campaigning against modern slavery throughout her career and once described it as the great human rights issue of our time. 
She introduced the Modern Slavery Act in 2015 before she became Prime Minister. It was vital in bringing together various existing offences into one law, and it provided new powers for lawmakers to protect victims of slavery and trafficking, even if they'd been forced to break the law by their traffickers. Then, once she became Prime Minister, she created a Modern Slavery Task Force, she established the Policy and Evidence Centre on Modern Slavery and Human Rights, and launched a UN call to action to help eliminate modern slavery and human trafficking. Oh, and she's also on our advisory board for the Anti-Slavery Collective. She is one incredible woman. We caught up with Theresa at her Parliament offices with the best view I've ever seen Mm -hmm. to chat about why fighting modern slavery has become such an important part of her political career and ways the law can be altered to improve protection for victims and help eradicate this problem. Right, so we're in... Theresa May's office at Parliament, which is so exciting. We can see Parliament from our window, which is awesome. All the house is brilliant out here, big bed and everything. Thank you so much for having us here. Um, it's very exciting to talk to you. And we, you've been now on our board for a few years. And so it's just a great honour that you can um, come and talk on our podcast. So we really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. No, it's, it's a great pleasure because I, I really really appreciate the effort that you put into this issue, which is so important. Um, and it's great being on your board for a while now and uh, meeting lots of interesting people, all with the same passion, exactly. which is great. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about your career as a politician. You, you have, you've been a politician now for... Well, in a sense, I've been a politician for more years than I'd like to say. Uh, <laughs> but uh, because I've, I, I came into Parliament was elected as a Member of Parliament in 1997. So I'm on my 26th anniversary of, uh, of being in, uh, in Parliament. And of course, during that time, I spent 13 years on the opposition benches, uh, a lot of those on the um, front bench covering various portfolios, and then obviously six years as Home Secretary and three years as Prime Minister, and then back to the back benches in 2019... Um, and where I've been able to have a bit more freedom to pursue the issues I really want to get interested in. Yeah. But actually, you were so integral in one of your biggest issues, which is drafting the Modern Slavery Act, and we'll talk about that a bit later, but you've done so much with your time as in, in Parliament, and that's just brilliant that you've managed to make modern, put modern slavery on the map. I mean, it really was you. Well, it, it's... I mean, well, one of the great, well, yes, one of the great things about being a Member of Parliament, and obviously particularly when you're a government minister, is you can do just that. You can spot, see an issue that people aren't very well aware of and actually raise the profile of that issue. And obviously that's what the Modern Slavery Act did. It made people really stop to think, you know, is this really still an issue today? Yeah, yeah, How yeah. did it first come into your line of sight and what was the kind of light bulb moment where you realised gosh, modern slavery is extremely prevalent in the United Kingdom and this is what I think we should do about it. Well, it was sort of, there was, in a sense, there was a um, a lead up to this. And I think, because I was first doing some work in opposition on human trafficking, which I think came out of work I was doing um, on domestic abuse, uh, sexual abuse against women. Uh, that led to looking, obviously, at women being trafficked into sexual exploitation here in the UK. Um, but of course, human trafficking is about largely about being trafficked across borders. And then when I was Home Secretary, the Centre for Social Justice produced a report which said modern slavery is happening here 
in our towns and villages and cities in the UK. It's not just people coming from other countries being brought in here. It's UK citizens being picked up on the streets, vulnerable people, and taken into slavery. And that, if you like, was a sort of light bulb moment, that this was something wider and much bigger than perhaps we'd, uh, we'd thought. Yeah, that you can get trafficked uh, by your next-door neighbour to do something within where you live. Yes. That was also something that we've... When we first learned about trafficking, that, that that nuance was, you can be living next door to someone who can traffic you, or can yeah. who one can, of the first survivors we yeah. met, um, Simo, and she was sixteen years old, and she was trafficked from her own home in Manchester, and that really hit home what the kind of definition of trafficking actually is. It's not necessarily across borders like we we might think. I think this is so important because I think there are an awful lot of people who still think of human trafficking as just being across borders. And in a sense, the term human trafficking doesn't really bring home the misery that people are subjected to. And that's why I wanted to use the word slavery, because people understand the word slavery. Most people think it finished here and across the world year, you know, centuries ago. But actually using that word really brings it brings it. So home. did you bring in the term modern slavery? We use the term. I think yeah. I mean the CSJ had used this term and I think it started off as modern day slavery, but yeah. we just say modern slavery. I yeah. think that's an easier term to use. But that's why I was determined that, that would be in the Act and the Act would have that title, because then it really makes people think, gosh, this this is about something really appalling. Yeah. You know. The, the complete um, degradation of individuals and removal of their freedom uh, and any sense of... And, you know, it is degradation of the, these people. Yeah. What was it like passing an act like that and who were the key players? What were the challenges? How long did it take? Well, it had, of course, to go through the normal process um, of the parliamentary process. Uh, and I think, I mean, the good thing was there was a general sense that this was a good thing to do. So it um, was perhaps had an easier passage than some um, acts might might do when they're going through Parliament. Um, what happens with uh, a piece of legislation like that is the Secretary of State will kick it off and then the junior ministers will take it through. So my junior ministers, particularly Karen Bradley, when she was uh, working in the Home Office, um, was instrumental in the, the, the work in Parliament and committee stage to go through the details of the bill. Um, so, but we had some, we had some, yeah, we had some battles, even with this sure. bill. Yeah, so, um, but we got there in the end. And pre-Modern Slavery Act, um, there wasn't really any form of legislation in terms of what was going on with... Yeah, no, there were, there were some bits and pieces. But um, the other thing the Modern Slavery Act did was actually brought it all together. Right. And obviously it enhanced the ability of the police to deal with uh, the perpetrators. Right, It exactly. introduced... Uh, things like the orders that mean that uh, uh, there are e- extra tools that can be used against perpetrators, uh, and obviously increase the um, support for victims, um, made sure we had that clear national referral mechanism, and the supply chains, right. of course, for, for business. Exactly, so businesses over a certain amount have to put a statement on their website and have to say that they're sort of in line with the Act. Yes, they have to say what they're doing. They, what we want businesses to do is to look at their supply chain properly, see if there's any slavery in it, and um, and then act to eradicate it. Right. If it means not using a supplier or, you know, preferably actually changing the behaviour of that supplier. 
Um, the, the, the supply chains was the thing we had a bit of a battle on. Right. Because we're sort of, oh, business can't be asked to do something else, you know. But they can, they can transform this issue. I mean, businesses, we've seen it. We've seen businesses when, you know, like ASOS, when they say, right, we're not having any anything on here that's you know, got any slavery in it or whatever it is, and they, they really put their head above the parapet. And then you see other businesses that are, are struggling because it's hard to to say, oh, yes, we might have it in our supply chains because there's so many um, different manufacturers or different people they work with. Yeah, and a lot, of, a lot of businesses don't want to put their head above the parapet because then they're worried that they'll get doubly targeted by the press or an investigator or something. But as it stands, so businesses with an annual turnover over 36 million have to write a statement on their website, their modern slavery statement. How effective do you think that has been? And what happens if businesses don't write that statement? And does is a statement on its own just enough? Well, I mean, the, the honest answer is a statement on its own is not just, just enough. I mean, what has happened is that big business, multinationals, will actively look to uh, look at their supply chains and um, but then it's easier for a big business because they set up a unit. They have people employ people specifically to do this. Um, it it was in the act in that form because that was as far as we could go at the time. That was all anybody would agree to at the time. Um, and I thought it was important to get something in there. Hundred percent. Just raise you know the profile of the issue for business. Um, I, I, I think there is more for government to do on enforcement, actually, yeah. bringing something in that, that really means that you can make sure that it's happening. Because a business could put a statement on its accounts that actually they haven't really done anything. But um, how clever to think to do that, to add that in, so that people become aware of it in their business. Like, we've met with businesses who, as you say, they've got a unit, they've got people who are actually thinking about modern slavery because of the act and because of the wording you put in. It's yes, fantastic. I mean, and that's you know that's a start. That's yeah, good. Yeah. Um, but we do want more businesses to be to be thinking about it yeah. um, and to be properly looking at it. And of course, we've seen um, cases. We saw the Boohoo case yeah. here in the UK, where a business had many many suppliers and didn't realise, hadn't really looked at the conditions, I guess, of the workers in those suppliers, and uh, was found out and had to take action. Right. And actually, we we spoke to Boohoo and. Our mission at the Entertainment Collective is not to point fingers, is to is to actually say, gosh, you, you, you've done something about this now. You know, let's... Well done for discovering well done for it. Discovering and, it and, and, you know, the irony is, is they're probably a leader now yeah. rather than someone who might have made a big mistake. Yeah. It's only sad that it took a revelation yeah. about what yeah. was happening to, to, to lead to that. But then you get other companies. I mean, yeah. we met... Um, there's a Dutch company called... Tony's Chocoloni. Oh, yay. I ate we were talking about night. that last night. Yes. Yeah. With the... The, 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 did you know, sorry, did you know that the, the chocolate bars, the chocolate's all different shapes and yes. sizes yes. to make it, because uh, the cocoa industry isn't fair always, so they make it different sizes to show you get a big bit, I might get a small yeah. bit. Yes, yeah. And that, came, that company came out of somebody actually seeing what was happening um, wow. in the conditions, people working in the cocoa Really? Um, cocoa business were um, cocoa farms. You know the conditions in they were working in, yeah. and that they weren't getting paid properly, and so forth. And so they set up. I set up that company in order to make sure that people get paid properly and get treated fairly. 
How cool. Because last night I was eating little ones and they had broken chains yeah. on the on the top of the chocolates. Like, you know, breaking the chains of slavery. Yes. It's brilliant. Um, just to go back a second, your, your work in domestic abuse brought you to modern slavery. So had you had, have you, I mean, obviously over your years now, you've, you must have been around trafficking and modern slavery. Was was there a particular memory of of uh, the first time you were you were you were met with with modern slavery, or was it was it your work with domestic abuse that brought you there? It, it sort of. I mean, I think that was the that was what started me thinking about the human trafficking, and then through that right. into um, obviously following the CSJ report, the recognition this was bigger right. than than just cross borders. But obviously along the lines, I've met. People yeah. who have been trafficked. Yeah. Um, I remember one young girl I met from who from a small village in Uganda, and um, story as you hear so often, family, lots of children, um, not really had you know poor, unable really to provide for all of the children. Somebody comes into the village and says, "I can give your daughter a wonderful life." Yeah, um, and uh, you know the, the parents sort of think, "Oh, good." Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the daughter was brought over here basically into domestic servitude, right. working for a family, um, not paid properly, um, and then sexually exploited by the family and their friends. Uh, and then actually the family moved away and just threw her out on the streets. <sighs> and fortunately she found her way to, I forget whether it's a church or local charity that were able to then take her in and, and support her, and provide her. And then I remember another story when I went later on when I was PM and I did a visit to Africa, I went to Nigeria and uh, the um, and met a young woman who was supported by the Salvation Army, who the government funds to provide support for victims. And she'd been trafficked from Nigeria across Europe into wow. various countries in Europe, had come back. Um, and the really sad thing was her family didn't want to know her. So it she, was sort of, to them, it was dishonour. Right. Um, but here she was, really, and the, obviously the Salvation Army were supporting her and helping her, but she wasn't able to come back into her family because they just disowned her. Yeah, we see that so much. I read that in all these different books about girls that in Cambodia or wherever it is who, who go through this and then don't get accepted into their community again. I remember when Kevin Highland was the... Um, anti-slavery commissioner he did a big project out in Nigeria just educating local villages around the kind of deceptions of people soliciting young women to become to become slaves wow well that was great because that was also part of the modern slavery act is creating an anti-slavery yes. commissioner yes yes brilliant and we were very fortunate with Kevin Highland yeah. because obviously he'd been working as a Met police officer um, dealing with uh, perpetrators of, of slavery um, and uh, and then obviously Sarah Thornton, uh, who took over from him, um, had obviously had that police experience as well. Because if we're going to support the, for the victims is very important, but actually if we're going to stop it, we need to stop the perpetrators. Yeah. And you need to have that criminal justice element to any action that's taken. Can I just say just then when you said when I was PM I went to Nigeria, that is so cool that you were Prime Minister and this was your biggest like thing. 
I just wanted to say that because <laughs> that is awesome. No one else you is were, championing you this. You championing this as the prime minister. Brilliant. Teresa, tell us more about the Global Commission. I know that you recently did a scoping study and we've heard bits about it in our advisory board meetings, but please, we'd love to hear more and share with our listeners. Well, thank you. I mean, the, the, when, I was, uh, when I was PM, I, I went to the UN and I launched a global call for action to stop modern slavery and human trafficking. And we have over 90 countries signed up to it. Um, but 90, 9 zero. 9 zero, yes. Wow. But my um, question, I started thinking about, actually, what are they doing? You know, you can come to a meeting in the United Nations and you can sign up to this thing and feel good about it. But the whole point was you then went on and did something about it. And there are some countries that have followed us with legislation. Australia, for example. Other countries are now looking at it. Um, but actually, I wanted more action. So started thinking about this. And I got a small group together of people who've been very good. They've, on a pro bono basis, come and, and worked. And then the UK Foreign Office funded this scoping study because we said... I thought the idea of a global commission was a good one, but actually it's not good enough just to have an idea and say this will, be, this will work. We wanted to test it. Um, so we did the scoping study with a significant number of organisations involved in working in slavery. Um, uh, when I say working in slavery, we're working to stop slavery. Yeah. Um, and uh, NGOs of various sorts and governments. And there was an overwhelming message that came back, which was, yes, we want the global commission, because the political momentum has gone out of the issue. Mm. So often happens. You get a focus on an issue for a period of time, then something else comes along. And so this. Yeah. How, do we, how do we raise that momentum again? Whether it's the anti-slavery collective or to all of our listeners, what do you think is the role we can play in kind of making sure that everyone remains focused on this issue? Well, I think that the... I mean, I'm hoping the Global Commission will provide a sort of international impetus on the politics I think it's just constantly raising your voice mm. constantly talking about this m meeting new people talking to new businesses just constantly trying to raise the awareness in a whole variety of variety of ways and the other thing that drove the commission was this sense that actually the problem has got worse yeah it's not just the political momentum's gone out the problem's got worse and um, you know, we saw in the conflict in Ukraine. I remember, Jill, um, you saying uh, at one of the um, board meetings of the anti-slavery collective, being, having been out to Ukraine and actually seen the traffickers yeah. just picking people up. And I was at a meeting recently and uh, where um, somebody was telling me that she'd been speaking to, somebody from the UN had been speaking to somebody in, um, I think it was in Poland, who was actually, you know, I think was a judge, but had been volunteering and helping at the borders and had been in one of these centres with all these women and children. And somebody, some man came up and said, you know, he'd got a um, transport and he could take whatever it was, half a dozen, ten away. But then sort of looked around the room and said, I want that one and that one and that one was picking all the prettiest and, and the youngest. And then yeah. light bulb suddenly yeah. dawned. This yeah. was not somebody out of the goodness of his heart. No. And, and, and that's one end of the spectrum. The other end is people are literally just snatching yes. young women yeah. before they've even made it into the centre, which has a layer of security, but it's still not... It's run by a charity, not, not an official kind of border patrol. So is the hope for the Global Commission um, 
for all the all governments to sort of come together um, in one space. Well, it's we'll. The aim is to have a number of co-convening governments. The UK will be one of those. And we're talking to other governments about uh, them co-convening with us. Then we'll bring in business and NGOs and survivors. Oh, great. So we've got a, that real sort of spread on the commission itself. It will look at a number of issues. One of the things that um, people are very keen on is that we do help countries, governments, to actually see how they can meet their international commitments because there are international commitments sustainable development goal 8.7 for example so helping them to meet those commitments part of that will be about encouraging legislation great looking at what legislation works um we'll do some research as well i'm quite keen that we do research on vulnerabilities because the other aspect of this i mean jules we were saying earlier about um the work that kevin highland had done in nigeria to educate people in the villages at the root cause at the root really at grassroots level and looking at what what are those vulnerabilities what is it that means somebody's more likely to be picked up and trafficked then we can try and help to sort of cut those off if you like cut off the vulnerable deal with the vulnerabilities which makes it less likely somebody will be a victim at the moment there isn't any one single organization that pulls together Mm. learnings experiences from all different governments police forces around the world no, there isn't. I mean, there are a number of organisations that tap into some of aspects yeah. of this. And obviously, there's the United Nations, but the United Nations has, I think somebody said to me, something like 20 different agencies, yeah. wow. each of which has an element of dealing with trafficking or slavery. Um, so we want to just bring it together and have a focus um, so people will know there's a body that will be producing research. Obviously, research will be commissioned from different groups and organisations, and we want to highlight the good work that, that's done by organisations. Yeah. Great. Well, we were saying that in our board meeting, you know, we need, we need someone somewhere for this to happen. So it's brilliant. And um, will different, go, different governments will host different parts of it, or kind of, after those 90 governments, how will... Well, we'll we, we hope that all, a lot of governments will yeah. come. We'll have a limited number as co-conveners, but then we'll bring others in to take part in working groups and so on and so forth. And um, we'll probably, um, yes, it will be set up in the UK, but we will look to ensure that we're able to do things regionally around the world globe as well. We spoke earlier a bit about the NRM, which is the National Referral Mechanism, and that is one of the most important things in the UK for identifying victims of modern slavery and helping them to recover and putting them in a safe place. But there are obviously a lot of, you know, things that, that go wrong in terms of sharing data and reporting and that kind of thing. How do you think, what will it, what will it take to bolster the NRM further and, and systemize a more coordinated cross-sectoral approach? Getting a cross-sectoral approach is always the hardest thing yeah. for government. It's, yeah. uh, um, I mean, the NRM is hugely important. It does have its problems at the moment. It's taking a long time yeah. to deal with cases. Um, and I think that that's something we need, we need to accelerate. It, it's, a, it's a fine balance in um, helping, the, the supporting victims of modern slavery that uh, they need to have long enough to be able to feel that they can come forward to give evidence so that you can catch the perpetrators. Yeah. Um, but you don't want people just sitting for, I think it's now... Is it over 300 days, 500 days or something that it takes to actually look at a case? And that's, wow. that's, that's really difficult. And the danger is that somebody ends up 
through that process potentially back with their traffickers or uh, the slave drivers my mum works for a safe house in um, west london and she says it's how sad it is how often people will come back and back again because they leave they go back to the same gang or back to the same trafficker and it's this constant cycle for that very reason yes and the traffickers will use all sorts of threats and, and to, you know, to get people and what's going to happen to their family back home and all sorts of things to, to uh, you know, keep them, keep them enslaved. But it's, it's amazing that the UK have the, the National Referral Mechanism to be able to then house survivors and look after them and that kind of thing. But as you say, they're waiting, people are waiting so long to, to either trust the police because the survivors might not have that level of trust but also then as you say someone to actually when it goes to court or trial or whatever it is it takes however many days so it's when whenever we visit safe houses it's it's one of the things the question you know can you speed this along and it's like we definitely can't but yes it's so there's great things about it, but it it sounds like it's you don't know how to move it along really. Well, well, there, yes, there are there are issues. I think you know, partly that's being recognised, and hopefully um, it's it, there's an element of resource yeah. uh, issue there. But it's difficult for the safe houses, of course. If somebody's waiting for so long, then they're not able to. If if cases can be considered more quickly, um, with you know, I don't mean just a sort of open and shut, yes, no, but you've got to consider it properly. But reducing that length of time will mean that there'll be more spaces available in the safe houses because, yeah. by definition, if somebody's having to wait for so long, that, that means somebody who might be just coming out of slavery perhaps doesn't have a place to go to. But also the idea that sharing data as well, because that's something that we've noticed, it's difficult for people to share data because the, these people are so vulnerable and it's personal, very, very personal information that's being shared. So that's also something that's difficult in the modern slavery world of, of how you actually how you actually help people if you can't share as much data, you know? Yeah, it is it is difficult. And it's a fine line, isn't it? Because you need in various circumstances to be able to share that data. Yeah. But because it is so personal, um, and possibly people have found it very difficult to tell their story. And to retell um, it. And to retell it, yeah. you know. It, it's uh, finding the right balance there can be quite, can be really challenging. How will you approach that, do you think, with the Global Commission around data sharing? Because all different countries have different things in different languages, but I'm sure there's a huge amount of insights that can be drawn from having that kind of global outlook. I think it will take time. It, it will be about building confidence yeah. in the Commission. yeah. And once governments and others are confident in the commission, then I think that, that we'll be able to find ways. We'll have to have proper protocols, etc. Um, you know, data sharing these days, you have to be very, you rightly have to be very careful with it. But I think once people see the commission and the job that it's doing, I hope they'll see that there's a benefit in sharing information about what works particularly. So we've talked a lot about this need for raising awareness and that's right at the core of the mission of the Anti-Slavery Collective. And given where you sit and your experience in government, what is your view on the role of education and how education policy can help, um, certainly in the United Kingdom, in helping prevent modern slavery as well as raise awareness for it? Well, I think one of the... Obviously, one of the things that education can do is to raise awareness and to make people stop and think, perhaps to ensure that young people who might otherwise be vulnerable 
and find themselves potentially as victims understand the signs of what could uh, what could happen um, and therefore protect help to protect them um, and I was thinking about the sort of is there a an equivalent example that we can look at and I don't know it's probably worth us looking at the work that's been done on female genital mutilation for example where quite a lot of work has been done in schools to try and educate young girls as to what might happen and the signs of this and who they can then go to for help. So I think there's there's an element of that. But then there's an element also of just people being aware of this and thinking about when they come across people, sometimes in... I mean, we know, for example, there are lots of cases of trafficking and slavery in nail bars, in car washes, you know, people just raising that awareness. And you can do that through education. And the younger people, you know, if you educate young people to this, then they will grow up with that, rather than, you know, the adult who sort of says, no, no, it's been fine, I've been going to that car wash for years, it's, you know, old Joe or whatever. Yes. And actually, we've done done some school visits with children far younger than I thought we could talk to about modern slavery, but there's some really clever ways of sharing that message in a way that doesn't give them nightmares. I, I went to a school the other day where... The, the, we went with the Brave Bear Trust, who'd written a book about a little bear, a little girl, and her magic bear that that were trafficked. And in she, this wonderful lady had organised different groups on different tables. And on my table, we had half ripped pieces of paper with dodgy um, height pencils, and some that are blunt, and some that aren't. And then another table had no pens and papers, and then another table had all the glittery pens and all the fresh paper. And and at the art, she said, you've got five minutes to draw a school. And ours was pretty awful because it was, you know. And then someone else's was amazing because they had all the tools. And after, she kind of went around saying, she, she was acting, but she said, oh, that's not very good because you haven't done it properly and you've not got no paper. And that one, yours is amazing because you've got all the glittery pens and papers, you know. And then she goes, oh, how did that make you feel? These kids were eight to, I think, eight years old, 10 years old, maybe. And one of the children straight away was like, well, that's not fair, that's unjust. You know, I, you didn't give us the right tools and that's, you know, and, and, it, and it brought out in them the, obviously not the same, but it, it brought those... those Relatability. Bi- and those yeah. big words that we all use as grown-ups, but for eight to 10-year-olds. And I was just like, this is brilliant because they now are looking at the sort of unfair, unjust, the, the, the unequalness of it and... And and then we started reading the story about about this little girl and how she was trafficked and 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 how grown up the grown up acted differently in public to differently in person and what what changes in behaviour and these children were 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 sort of answering the questions and it was so amazing to see you know young people learning and also to know who they then ask you know yes if if you see this go to your parent or your teacher or your doctor or you know, who do you trust? And it's that, it's those two elements, isn't it? It's being aware of it, but then knowing what to do. Yeah, exactly. Who, who do you go to? Especially a young person who might not trust the police or might not trust their doctor or... Or might trust the wrong person. Or, or might think their next yes. door neighbour yes. is is their, you know, their trusted yeah. person. Well, you know, it was just brilliant to watch them learn about it. Teresa, thank you so much for your time today. We like to always end on a story of hope or a big stride forward or a successful moment um, that has spurred you on or continues to spur you on? 
Well, I think what spurs me on is is uh, seeing victims, hearing of victims, and seeing the way their lives can change when actually somebody recognises the slavery that they're in and is able to help them to come out of that slavery and to build a build a new life. And that's what's absolutely amazing. You know, there are some survivors who are now doing brilliant things for other victims of modern slavery. Um, and uh, you know, it's that, that I think, give, does give us hope. Sadly, this is an issue we still have to deal with. We want a day when it's eradicated. Yeah. I think the Global Commission is a big stride forward and, yeah. and the first ever kind of international organisation to bring everyone together. And at The Collective, we truly believe in multi-sector collaboration and what you're doing is incredible. Well, and thank you for what the Anti-Slavery Collective does because you're raising awareness as well. And at a different place, because actually the work you do in education is not really done by many other organisations. No, that's really exciting for us. That's really exciting. But it, it also is just amazing that, as I said earlier, what you've done um, in all your years in, as, as a politician and PM and everything and the Modern Slavery Act. So you're a massive inspiration to us and thank you for, for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of this new season of Floodlight. And thank you so much to Theresa May for lending her time and incredible experience. We really hoped you enjoyed hearing from her. Join us next week where we'll be speaking to James Bartle. He's the founder and CEO of Outland Denim, a socially conscious fashion brand whose commitment to environmentally and socially responsible clothing is absolutely inspiring. In the meantime, if you'd like more information about how you can help us in the fight against modern slavery, then take a look in our show notes for loads of useful information. Also, if you scroll down in your podcast app, you'll see a mini episode called Modern Slavery Explained. Have a listen to that. Jules and I break down some of the terminology and context around modern slavery in both the UK and abroad. We'll see you next week. Floodlight is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.